Welcome to part two of our three-part podcast series on building with tall mass timber, sponsored by Think Wood. I'm David Myron, editor-in-chief of ProSales Magazine, and I'll be the host of today's podcast on seismic and fire concerns for tall mass timber construction. In part one of this podcast series called The Impact of Tall Mass Timber Code Changes, we covered the tall mass timber code changes that were approved by the International Code Council in December 2018. These code changes set some parameters for architects and developers to build tall mass timber buildings. Since then, more states have been pursuing early adoption of the ICC's code changes and more architectural and engineering firms have been investing in mass timber projects. In fact, according to Woodworks, 599 mass timber projects have been constructed or are in design across the U.S. as of June 2019. This represents an increase from roughly 400 in 2018. Of the 599 projects, 305 are CLT projects, and the highest activity areas include California, Washington, and Texas. While there are a variety of benefits to constructing tall mass timber buildings, including labor cost benefits and efficiencies, there are various factors to consider before starting, especially when it comes to the seismic and fire safety of wood in tall buildings. To address these concerns, we are joined by Erica Fisher, Assistant Professor at the School of Civil and Construction Engineering at Oregon State University. Welcome to the podcast, Erica. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Erica, tall mass timber construction has been in practice in Europe for years, which led many to wonder why until recently haven't we been able to build these structures in the U.S.? Why did it take so long for the U.S. to allow the construction of tall timber buildings? I think that question is really better answered by looking at what regions of Europe and what regions of the U.S. are actually building with mass timber construction. And so in Europe, the regions that are actually building tall timber buildings are in regions of low seismicity and low wind loads. And so your lateral forces on your building are much lower than they would be in the areas of the United States that are really championing this material. So um, as you said in your introduction, there's California, there's Washington, and there's Texas. And in Oregon, we're also working on a lot of tall timber buildings as well. And these are regions, um, at least on the West Coast, that have high seismicity. And so um, that that introduces another level of complexity to the building construction and to the building design. In Texas, there's really high wind loads. Um, there's hurricanes in Texas. And so that also introduces another complexity to the design and construction of these buildings. In Europe, they're also taking advantage of some mixed materials. And so the lower floors will be stiffer with some concrete construction, and then upper floors take advantage of the rapid construction and lower weight of timber construction. And so they're really mixing these materials together to take advantage of the benefits of all these materials. So considering the uh, regions with high seismicity and, as you mentioned, some areas with high winds and hurricanes, in your opinion, is it feasible to construct a mass timber high-rise building in a high seismic region? Yeah, it it is feasible. And um, I think we need to kind of like back up and say, what is technically a high-rise building? And so technically a building over 10 stories is a high-rise building. So timber construction is really wonderful for speed of construction. It has lower weight, which reduces the sizes of the foundations and the amount of material you need to build the foundations of the building. But also seismic forces are proportional to the weight of the building. And so if you have a lower weight building, then theoretically you have less seismic demands. 
And so um, out of pure timber with timber lateral systems, right now the technology and engineering is where we can build to about 12 to 14 stories out of pure timber. Above that, we need to start mixing the the materials together to take advantage of the stiffness of a a concrete shear wall or of a brace frame system with steel, and then also take advantage of the rapid construction and lightweight um, material use of timber in the gravity system. So this is exactly what the Brock Commons building did in Vancouver. There's a concrete shear wall for the lateral system. And then the gravity system is out of mass timber. So you really, again, you're taking advantage of on the benefits of these two materials and you're able to build an 18 story mass timber building. Is there any concern though, considering the speed at which the new uh, tall mass timber buildings are being developed? It's about a 50% growth rate from 2018 to June of 2019. Is there a concern that this growth is too fast, that architects and engineers and developers are jumping in this too quickly without further testing um, and, and taking a look at this from all angles? I think that there is a little bit of a concern from the engineering community, but I think this might be where one of the misconceptions are. Most of the timber buildings that are being built within the United States are being built within the confines of the International Building Code. So they're not experimental or exploratory or kind of one-off buildings that are outside the confines of the building code. The T3 building in Minneapolis, for instance, is within the confines of the building code. Um, And right now, um, many jurisdictions are accepting buildings that adhere to the 2021 International Building Code, which allows for an 18-story mass timber building. So exactly like Brock Commons. So even today, Brock Commons is within the confines of the building code. Most of the buildings that are going up are within IBC. For the buildings that are outside the confines of the IBC, um, a lot of jurisdictions are being very strict on how to review these buildings, how to make sure that there is enough testing to show that there is equivalent performance to the building code, and um, to make sure that really they're ensuring life safety within the U.S. The nature of the engineering industry is different in the U.S. than in Europe. We we have a more legislative-based industry. Um, our, Our engineers can be sued. And so that really does restrict the way that engineers approach using new and kind of more innovative approaches. But but there are some jurisdictions, um, Portland being one of them, Seattle being another, that are working with companies to make sure that there is enough testing. Um, so, so building owners are, are tasked with that onus of, of paying for and, and elongating the project in order to do experimental testing. Um, And then, you know, to make sure that the results of those tests show equivalent performance to life safety as the nature of the International Building Code stipulates. What advice do you have for architectural firms, for engineering firms, uh, for multifamily executives who are interested in tall mass timber buildings and want to sufficiently address seismic safety concerns? 
I think if you're looking for something that's pure timber in a high seismic region, then focusing on that 10 to 14 story range or, or under 14 stories would be quite competitive um, just due to the speed of construction. There's uh, a, a lot of research that has actually occurred here at Oregon State University on making sure that the diaphragms are stiff enough to distribute the seismic demands to the shear walls itself. And so it, it's completely possible to do, and many people have, have done it. Um, and it's also within the confines of the building code. So you don't need to feel like you're kind of leading the pack or doing something that's a little more experimental. You know, you can commission one of these buildings and, and have it adhere to the, the international building code. Let's shift gears a bit and talk about fire safety. What are some of the misconceptions about mass timber construction and fire safety? The first misconception is that when we as engineers are talking about exposed timber construction, we're talking about exposed mass timber. We're not talking about exposed stick frame construction that we see in single family homes or that we see in the podium construction that's quite common um, throughout the United States. Um, this is large glue lamb beams, glue lamb columns, and very thick floors that can char. And just the, the chemistry of the chars is another misconception. The char itself acts like a natural fire protective layer. So it prevents the remainder of the uncharred timber from charring and from heating up. And it's, it's really effective. And um, we've done a number of tests here at Oregon State to just even just show that how effective it is. And so if the char does not fall off, which is, you know, the big caveat, if the char does not fall off, then there could be a cooler, uncharred, undamaged timber core that's resisting the loads imposed on the structure. And that allows for the timber structure to maintain stability or load carrying capacity throughout a complete burnout fire. And so the caveat, though, is always, you know, if the char does not fall off. Um, and so I think that's what a lot of experiments are showing now to show that the char does not delaminate from the timber itself and the whole system stays in place. There has been some testing at Oregon State, and there's also a, a structure uh, called Origine, uh, which is a tall timber building in Quebec City, where a CLT stair and elevator shaft was exposed to intense flames for two hours and 12 minutes, reaching a peak temperature of over 2,000 degrees. I think it was 2,012 degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. The interior of the CLT shaft remained intact, smoke-free, and with interior sensors recording a temperature rise of only three degrees Celsius. So uh, the code's two-hour fire rating was easily achieved. What can we learn from this? And is more research needed to prove CLT as a fire-resistive material? Yeah, that, that experiment that you're talking about is a great example. There was also an experiment at the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Facility. That was a two-story CLT structure. There was also an experiment at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. That was also another two-story um, CLT structure that showed very similar performance. And really, those results and that research is a lot of what fueled the change in the building code for the 2021 version of the International Building Code. And the division of type four construction into three different categories to really be able to um, take into account the data from those experiments because large scale fire tests are really wonderful in showing us how the full system performs. 
But that's all for the prescriptive approach. What I do research on and what a lot of researchers in Europe and the U.S. are pushing for is what's called structural fire engineering. This means that we can actually use our structural engineering knowledge along with our knowledge on the performance of buildings and fires to strategically design the building for a fire, just as we design the building for an earthquake or a wind event. And that that just entails strategically placing the fire protection on the members that need it and putting a thickness of fire protection that allows the building to maintain load carrying capacity and stability throughout a full burnout fire. And so where there's additional research needed is well, how can we design our connections and, and connections between all the different components? And in timber, the most important part of timber construction is how everything is connected. Um, and so how do we how do we design that so that our connections maintain their integrity, their structural integrity throughout a complete burnout fire? And we make sure that we can achieve that life safety performance. And that's really where we need a bit more research. We right now can do this for, for steel buildings and for concrete buildings, but we need to be able to do this for, for timber buildings and particularly if we're going to be going taller. And so this is very much kind of along the lines of performance-based design, um, designing for a performance objective and being able to understand the structural mechanics of how the building actually responds in these extreme events. Buildings are required to adhere to the PRG 320 standard, which I understand was recently updated. How will the updated standard affect CLT's char rate so the, the PRG320 standard is a standard of manufacturing for cross-laminated timber. And this is just ensuring that regardless of where you order your cross-laminated timber from, you're going to get at least a base level of performance. Until the 2018 version of PRG320, delamination was not part of that performance. So delamination in high moisture conditions and also in a fire condition. And so the delamination is heavily influenced and almost solely influenced by the composition and behavior of the adhesive between the laminations of cross-laminated timber. So the PRG320 2018 version basically took effect to the cross-laminated timber that's coming out right now um, from all the manufacturers. So um, the, the testing is occurring like as we speak. Um, and so I guess we'll see how those panels perform in high moisture conditions and in, in a fire. And how does delamination affect the char rate of CLT compared to another type of mass timber, such as glue laminated timber? So the National Design Specification, which is the standard that oversees timber construction on the engineering side. The National Design Specification has a nominal char rate for timber of 1.5 inches per hour. And that's what's used for saw lumber or glue lamb, as you said. Um, but for cross-laminated timber, if there's delamination, you could see upwards of 1.9 inches per hour of char rate in cross-laminated timber. It, it may not seem a big difference, but it ends up being a huge difference if you're trying to achieve a two-hour performance of a cross-laminated timber panel in fire. Because again, you're, you're really reliant on that uncharred section. So if your uncharred section is much smaller, then you have less capacity to resist the imposed loads. Delamination also affects that ability to maintain stability in a complete burnout fire, like I said before, for structural fire engineering. And so if we keep exposing 
uncharred timber, then the fire keeps reigniting. We keep giving the fire more fuel and the fire will never self-extinguish. And so what advice do you have for multifamily executives who are interested in tall mass timber buildings and, and want to sufficiently address fire safety concerns? I would say that um, if you're really worried about fire safety concerns and you would like to commission a tall mass timber building, that to really adhere to the International Building Code, whether it's the current version or the 2021 version, life safety is really paramount and, and really important to the International Building Code and, and the engineering community. And so that will stipulate what prescriptive fire protection you need in your building in order to achieve that life safety performance. You know, lots of buildings have been constructed adhering to the International Building Code that are technically tall mass timber buildings. Um, and I gave the example of the T3 building in Minneapolis or even the Brock Commons building in Vancouver. The Brock Commons building does not have exposed mass timber and it adheres to right now the, the 2021 International Building Code. There's also a lot of places that will help you design your building. And so Woodworks is a really great resource for engineers, um, but also the Tallwood Design Institute here at Oregon State, which is a consortium of professors that do research in mass timber construction. So we work with companies and, and try to put our research into practice and in giving advice on you know, ways that they can implement various details based on the test data that we have. So that's also another resource for people. So what if uh, multifamily executives want to operate outside of the International Building Code? I would say just as with any building that you're going to operate outside the confines of the International Building Code, you need to talk to your building jurisdiction immediately. Not every building jurisdiction has the expertise to to process that, um, and they they don't particularly will allow it. Um, so there are a number of building jurisdictions around the country that are more exploratory with their buildings. Um, and so this is the same issue that people have with performance-based seismic design or tall buildings in high seismic region. They fall outside the confines of the building code. They have to work with the building jurisdiction. And then I would say uh, contacting a code specialist so that you make sure that throughout the process, you're really meeting the intention of the code. You're showing code equivalence in your performance. And the, the building jurisdiction will tell you if they want to see experimental tests, if they want to see letters from experts, if they want a peer review. And so, um, you know, all of these things will delay the project and all of these things cost money. So, you know, the building owner needs to be aware that going outside the confines of the building code is definitely more expensive and, and definitely uh, takes more time, which, which is also more expensive. So understanding that upfront and then working with the building jurisdiction, making sure there's a good relationship there so that you're giving them everything that they need to ensure that the design is safe and meets the intention of the code. Thank you, Erica, for your time and thoughts. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to our podcast on seismic and fire concerns for tall mass timber construction, sponsored by ThinkWood. Please look for our third and final podcast of this series, which will profile a multifamily developer.